Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Rebecca Mazzino and with me is Tara Tuttle and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi and welcome to this week's episode. This week we want to have a little bit of a chat about what it is like to be a declutter coach and what's really handy is that Beck is one <laughs> and I was one <laughs> and so just to spice things up a bit I'm going to be asking Beck all about her work um, where the work comes from and what an average week looks like for her because we have lots of people that listen to the show who are part of the professional organizing industry and I know there's a few as well that are interested in joining the industry and so find our episodes um, interesting and a bit of an insight into that so we want to pick your brains Beck, and find out all about being a declutter coach does that sound fair yes that's fine so okay start us off what is a declutter coach what how would you define it I usually say that it's someone who helps you make decisions about your stuff so that you can declutter and then meet your goals. And usually this work is done one-on-one with the person in their home or in their space that needs to be decluttered. So how does that differ then uh, to a professional organiser? Well, what is a professional organiser? So professional organisers are very, very similar, but there are differences in the focus. So the aim of a professional organiser is pretty much the same as that of a declutter coach in that what professional organisers strive to do is to help people be comfortable in their spaces and achieve their goals around their space and their time management. And I guess the biggest difference is that Professional organising has a broader scope, so that includes, you know, downsizing services and styling and uh, just plain organising and uh, those kinds of things and storage solutions and even planning uh, storage solutions like um, internal interior design, I guess, uh, of particular spaces, whereas declutter coaching has a narrower focus and it's largely the psychology of letting go and the coaching around the decision-making upon letting go. So I would say that with a declutter coach, probably the best way to think about it is that a declutter coach is like 80% psychological support and 20% logistical, physical, moving stuff around support. And a PO is usually the reverse of that. So they do more on the management of the spaces and a little bit less, although they definitely still cover this, but a little bit less of the psychological uh, aspect of things. So have you always been a declutter coach then or did you start out more organising? No, a declutter coach wasn't, well, didn't exist, I guess, when I first started or certainly I wasn't aware that that, that was a focus that you could do when I first started, I just was a professional organiser and I thought I was going to be uh, decluttering people's stuff and setting up storage and labelling things. <laughs> and then I sort of, once I started, I was like, oh, this is not about the stuff. <laughs> this is like about the people and what's going on in their heads. And, and so my focus shifted. And for many professional organisers, it stays about the stuff and there are lots of jobs that people do as professional organizers without the client present which you would have seen on a show like maybe the home edit 
well, even Marie Kondo leaves their clients on their own. But you know, things are sort of done with the client, you know, off doing their own thing, um, usually the TV makeover shows. And whereas with declutter coaching, you know, you can't do anything without the client because it's all about the decision making and it's all about teaching that client how to make decisions, which you cannot do if they're not present. So did you just educate yourself as you went then? Because obviously yeah, the, the psychological aspect of de- declutter coaching isn't just a given, you know, there's a there's a lot to it. Is that something you just learnt over time with clients and then doing a bit of external study? Yeah, I did some study with ICD, which is the Institute for Chronic Disorganisation. It's an American-based, uh, internationally serving uh, body specialising in chronic disorganisation, which includes uh, hoarding disorder and other complex situations. So I did some training through them and I found that, I guess, I don't know if I just attracted those types of clients, but it just, or if I had a preference for them and so I was more likely to turn down a job that wasn't a coaching job and therefore my, it just grew into more complex needs. And I guess I found that I was better at working on jobs with people who had complex needs than working on jobs, say, on my own or that were large-scale projects. I think I just have a personal preference for one-on-one, small bite-sized chunks along the way uh, together close with that client. Um, That's the kind of stuff that, that I prefer to do. And so I ended up just naturally gravitating towards that. And of course, there were times where I sat down and went, okay, where am I going with my business? What do I want to do? Um, and so there were conscious decisions that I made, but a lot of it was just an unconscious move into that area simply by gaining some of those clients and really enjoying working with them. Um, and then so attracting others the, the same through my, through my wording, my marketing, through word of mouth, you know, those kinds of things. You end up getting the same kinds of clients that, that you're actually, you know, spending most of your energy on. Yeah, and I think that's anyone that knows you and knows how you work knows that is your specialty, is that relationship building because that's the thing with declutter coaching, isn't it? It's it's hard to uh, help people make decisions and uncover the reasons they're holding on to stuff without some kind of level of trust or um, mm, relationship there. Yeah, connection, that's it. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's you can see that that's such a part of you in your business where going in and labeling you know 300 boxes to help someone organize their their filing cabinet while you absolutely have the ability to do that is is not probably what drives you you know or motivates you um yeah so so you mentioned then about about clients about that you know you when you work in those circles and you get I guess referrals as well how else do you do you find clients? Uh, the clients find me now. I've been around long enough uh, that I sort of don't need to go looking for them. They find me. So most of my clients come from usually a referral from somebody who already knows me or what I do, whether they've been – they're usually not a client. A lot of – I don't get a great deal of referrals from existing clients because of what I, what I do is very private, they are not that my clients are less likely to say to somebody, 
hey, you look like you have a complex need regarding your clutter. (laughs) Here's someone I used because of my complex need. They're not likely to do that, but their psychologist will hear about what I've done and then the psychologist might refer another patient to Mm -hmm. me, for example, uh, or their support coordinator or a counsellor or someone who has attended one of my courses tells someone else who tells someone else that's the kind of word of mouth that I have. It's generally not client to client. I actually recently found out that one of my clients is related to another one of my clients and neither of them knew that they that they knew me. So that was quite quite interesting. It's definitely very little client to client referral, so it's a more of a professional referral mm-hmm. basis. And then of course good old Google. So when people Google for hoarding support, uh, those kinds of things then I pop mm-hmm. up. And then I guess social media as well. It's another avenue. A little bit, yeah. I don't use social media to attract clients. I use social media so that anybody who is looking, actively looking for a professional organiser and they choose to, they find me somehow or someone's told them about me, they can go and get to know me a little Mm -hmm. bit. Because this is a thing like in what we do, it's highly personal. You know, there's, we're going through people's personal lives Mm -hmm. into all their private spaces. And so someone's not going to get somebody in that, that they go to a website, for example, and there's no picture of their face on mm-hmm. there. You know, I find that it's interesting that when a professional organiser doesn't have a picture of their face on their website, I kind of think that would turn me off if I was a client. I would want to know the person that was coming in mm. to my home. I want to read a little bit about them. I would want to know their name. I would want to know, you know, even so far as like their personality, I'd want to know whether they were loud or quiet. I'd want to know whether they talked a lot or didn't talk a lot, you know, or whether they were um, highly professional or really informal. That kind of thing, I'd, I like to know that. And so, and I know my clients like to know that as well, to a large degree. Some don't really care, but social media allows me to do that. So they can see in social media, you know, the things that I'm passionate about and that I care about, and they can see my personality and they can, you know, hear me speaking I mean the podcast obviously does that but that's the kind of stuff that it's more to get to know me not to attract people Mm -hmm. does that make sense I'm not about like oh I'm getting like I need more followers I'm not like that I'm like oh I need to make sure that anyone who finds me knows who I am yeah well and that's it it's a incredibly vulnerable undertaking I mean I Mm. remember that you know many years ago when I first got a cleaner and I was like, can I interview people? Because these people are going to be in my house. I didn't, you know, I don't, I feel uneasy about it. And it turned out that the the cleaning market in Canberra was so tight. They're like, if someone is willing to clean your house, you take them. <laughs> you know, like they will interview you rather than you interview them. And I'm like, really? Um but, and that's just, you know, that's was mopping my floors. If it's someone mm. that's going through my my wardrobe with me or my all my sentimental items, that kind of thing, and encouraging me to to face some some tough decisions. That's that's so vulnerable, it's so personal that mm. yeah, I think that access is really, really important. Mm. Yeah. I was talking to a client um and I was talking about oh, I can't remember how it came up, but oh, I said one of the biggest compliments I ever received was that this woman said, even though you've just unpacked my entire life, it hasn't been at all intrusive. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, I think the reason why it's not so intrusive is that you just don't make it a big deal. 
you know mm. you're like we're going we're just we're sifting through my life right here and it's really serious for me but because you're acting like it's something that is easy to do and um matter of fact and yeah this is just what we're going to do that he finds it really unintrusive then because to me it's just you know like an everyday thing well it reminds me the fact that you mentioned the home edit before of um that scene in the home edit where they were going through Reese with the spoons wardrobe and remarking on, you know, oh, this, oh, I remember this from this movie and that kind of mm. thing. And the objects, I remember feeling really uneasy because, yes, those they know those objects because they saw them in a movie or whatever it was, um, some you know, a pair of shoes from Legally Blonde or something. I was like, oh, that makes me feel really uncomfortable because someone looking upon your possessions and identifying them as anything kind of there's too much familiarity there like you want you want them to respect your stuff but not to be interested in it you know what I mean yes and I feel like there's a there's a fine line there yeah Um, and I think there and there is as well though like there's also I can't help but be interested by my client stuff sometimes but you're right there is this there's this balance between respecting their stuff and then intruding on their stuff or or getting just too far and so you know occasionally you know someone will pull out something and they'll go oh I used to love this dress and I'll say something like oh yeah I can see why it really suits you so you can you know there's this you can say things like that but I think that yeah there is that that line and sometimes I've made mistakes like sometimes I've said the wrong thing like I've been doing this for 15 years and I'm not perfect so I've absolutely said the wrong thing to people before and that's been a learning experience for me. And I guess the the thing with dealing with complex clients is that the wrong thing can have a far more dramatic effect on that person than it can on a non-complex client. So somebody mm-hmm. without a neurodiversity or without a mental illness or without trauma reacts very differently to what could seem like an offhand comment than somebody who has. Um, so this is... This is the, the, the this is where it's the balance, and this is why I sort of I worry a lot about people saying to me, "Oh, I'm really organised. I could be a professional organiser. I could be a declutter coach," and with that, without the knowledge of that, like without the knowledge of the impact that they can have merely mm-hmm. by glancing at something the wrong way or making one comment, uh, the you know understanding the impact that those words can have is quite important. And those, mm-hmm. act- those, those actions can have is really important. Um, I had someone say to me once that she had someone, had a professional organiser come in once. And it's hard to describe this without a v- bit of a visual. But the way she described it to me was she stood in front of the pantry and she stood there and she went, you don't need that, you don't need that. Oh, oh you don't need that. Burr, 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 burr. She said this, burr, burr, burr. and I think what she was saying is it was this bossy sort of, um, take control kind of attitude, which mm-hmm. completely traumatized this poor client, and they had to wait three years before they could pluck up the courage to then call someone else, which was me. And so I think that you know I do kind of get nervous when some people go, "Oh, that's an easy job," you know, anyone can do mm-hmm. that. And I'm thinking, mm, anyone can, but to do it without causing harm is a lot harder. Mm. And it's. It requires you to hold your tongue a lot as well. And I think, mm, you know. Which is impossible aren't... for me most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I remember in the early days doing helping someone do 
they had like a home library and we were decluttering and they were like, they'd kind of, we'd gone through some of the cool questions to ask and then they were like, oh, yep, I don't think this one, you know, this one doesn't, you know, speak to me. I don't love it. I don't need it. And I'm like going, oh, my gosh, it's a first edition. Like, you can't <laughs> part with that. You can't part with that. And then I'm like, um, okay, so uh, what what value is, you know, <laughs> like I'm trying to come up with words to, to say, like, are you, I don't want to tell you that you have to keep this, but you really should be keeping this because this is, <laughs> you know, and it's like you can't. This is the thing. You are guiding these people to a decision. You are mm. not making the decision for them. Yeah, exactly. And and it's really hard because same thing, you know, people going, oh, yep, I'm going to give away these vases. And it's like, oh, but they're beautiful. Are you sure? It's like, hang on, you can't say <laughs> yeah, that. that shush, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it, I found that yeah. really hard. And it, I think it gets worse almost the better you know someone, the more you get to know your clients is it's mm. it's – you know, you feel like you, you're comfortable enough to say, oh, God, that is yeah, really beautiful. Yeah, you let your guard down a little bit sometimes mm. with the longer you've been with clients that you can let your guard down. And my, I mean, I don't have the biggest guard anyway. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> informal and rather transparent. And so, you know, but there are, you know, there are things that, um, yeah, you do have to be careful. And and like you said, we're coaching. We're not telling them to make decisions. And so it's really difficult as well when a client says to you, what should I do? Because mm. and I'm like, I can't tell you that. You know, I can't tell you what you should do. But I can ask you a few questions and maybe we can work out what you, sh- you know, you can work out what you should do. And then the, occasionally they've said, what would you do? And I would say, well, again, I'm a different person to you. So what mm. I would do is should not be used as you know, uh, a decision-making tool. Sometimes I can. I can sort of say to them, I would or I wouldn't. And it usually with those, it's on the not on the letting go or keeping decision. It's on the donate or sell decision or the where to donate decision. So, you know, mm-hmm. if they said, oh, where should I donate that or where would you donate this, I would say, oh, well, I, I would choose maybe from one of these three charities. So I can give them advice on what I would do in that case. But as far as whether to get rid of it or not in the first place, that one, it has to be them. And so... So when I get asked, what would you do or what should I do, that's I really have to stop. And I'm much, I'm pretty good, well practiced at that. Um, I'm, I don't accidentally trip up on that one. The things I accidentally trip up on is complimenting people on their things <laughs> because I'm like, oh, this is nice. You know, so occasionally that one will slip through because I'll forget you know, I'll see this thing and temporarily forget who I am or where I am or I'll go, oh, I went to that concert or, oh, I used to have shoes like that, you know. And a lot of the time that doesn't bother them at all. Recently Uh that happened actually. I went, um, a client directed me into her room to get a crate which was under another two crates. And in order to do so, I had to lean over and I ended up face height with a pair of shoes. And I looked at the shoes and I went, oh, I had those shoes. And so I went back to her and I said, oh, I just saw a pair of shoes that I had. And as soon as I said that, I went, oh, no, because she said, oh, do you still have them? And then I had to say, oh, no, I decluttered them, which, again, would have an influence on how she felt about those shoes. So that was a mistake that I'd made that I probably shouldn't have have said. Um, I just should have just shut my mouth completely. Mm-hmm. But it was just so there's the occasion and, and there was no – danger there you know in that particular situation there was no negative outcome but that's the kind of stuff that we do have to be you know really careful of and in that where we don't want to influence the decision that the client makes because it has to be their decision completely and, and we can only 
direct them to that decision by asking them questions instead of telling them things. Yeah, and um, I guess even from a legal standpoint, you, you've got to be really clear that the decisions about what stays and what goes is theirs so that there's no chance of them down the track saying, you made me donate that yeah. thing that I didn't realise what it was worth, you know, because um, yeah. it could be. Well, this is why we have insurance too because <laughs> mm. there is that potential you know, for someone to say, you know, you you made me you made me get rid of a first edition book, or you let <laughs> yeah. me get rid of a first edition book without speaking up. How dare mm-hmm. you? That was worth forty thousand dollars. That book, uh, but yeah, that's why we have insurance. Uh, so, or that's why any professional organisers or declutter coaches listening, if you do not have professional indemnity insurance, that is why <laughs> you need professional yeah. indemnity mm-hmm. insurance um, to protect you from any advice that you give that could have a negative financial impact or otherwise. Mm. So. Thinking about clients, who who are your clients? I mean, don't give us names and addresses, but have you oh, got... Oh, really? I was going to. <laughs> have you got like um, general niche areas that your clients would, would fit into? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, I have very... Well, basically I have... Most of my clients have more complex needs than others. So they might have a disability uh, or a condition like a neurological condition or a medical condition that gives them extra obstacles in getting organized or managing their belongings uh, or managing the volume of their belongings. I also have clients that um, find it hard to make decisions by themselves. So that could just be a personality thing. It could be a response to trauma. It could be a neurodiversity or it could be um, a mental illness like depression or anxiety, which also they cause decision-making anxiety. So they might just find it really hard to make the decisions without somebody else there. And that somebody else they might find is better off if it's someone that they don't know intimately. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot are just overwhelmed by the sheer volume of the work they have to do so they might have spent three years in a depressive state and the whole house has filled up in that time because they haven't had the capacity to move things along and so when they finally start to recover they look around and go oh my gosh where did this all come from and it's so much that they just don't know where to start so that's um, a lot of my clients too Uh, some also just find themselves in a sticky situation due to some kind of life circumstance. So they might have had a family member pass away and and had a really short time to clear the home so it all went into their house or their shed or their carport uh, or it's all in storage and it's costing them a fortune. They might have combined two families into the one home. Uh, So those kinds of things can can get people to to a point where again, they're overwhelmed by the the sheer amount of work that they have to do. And there might be some emotional aspect to that as well. Uh, And often my clients don't have any other supports or um, family or friends that do try to help them, but don't have the, the right approach to it based on due to their personality or their misunderstanding of that person's needs or obstacles, or just due to their familiarity. You know, sometimes People will say, I can't, I can't get my mum to help me do this because as soon as we start, we, we start fighting about other things. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to, they don't have a past with me, so they're not going to bicker with me about things that happened four years ago while they're trying to declutter. Um, so that, that can be helpful as well. 
So what kinds of things then, when you get to a client's house, what are some of the things you find yourself doing with them? The first thing I do with all of my clients is really clarify their needs. So what is it that they actually have me there for? What is it that we're trying, they are trying to achieve and what haven't they been able to achieve even though they've wanted to. So together we chat about it and figure out what their needs actually are. Sometimes they think they know their needs, but they only know half of them. And then once we've chatted, a few more have popped up. So it's really helpful to establish that together. The next thing I do is set some goals with them and work out what is it that they really want. And we try and make those goals quite achievable. So there there have been times where, you know, for example, one client I had, when I sat down with her um, to work out our goals, she said to me, and I said, okay, I started off just by asking, do you have any goals that come to mind? Sometimes you have to draw them out of them. Other times they'll pop to the surface. Anyway, so, so one popped to her surface and she said, I want to redo the floorboards in the kitchen. And I said, okay, that's a, that's a good one to have. Now we were standing in the kitchen at the time because we couldn't sit down and I couldn't see the floor. Like I was standing on some debris um, and there was clutter all around. And I couldn't see the floor and I couldn't see the bench tops and I couldn't see the sink and she couldn't use the sink. And so she had what she'd done in her mind is she'd really blue skied. So she had this great idea of redoing the floorboards, which is a great idea. However, I think there were about four steps that she needed to achieve before we could even get to that. So when I'm working out their goals as well, I try to look at the goals and and fit them in where they fit as far as phases go. So with um, in my mind, the first goals that need to be addressed are those that need to um, uh, address safety. So for her, she needed to be able to wash her dishes uh, for hygienic reasons so she could you know, then eat without danger. So I wanted to focus on clearing enough room on the sink for her to be able to wash her dishes. And so I sort of said to her, okay, well, let's write down the floorboards goal, but I want to write another few goals above that one that we might tick off before we get to the floorboards. And she was okay with that. She just hadn't seen it the same way that I had seen it uh, mm-hmm. because I, we needed to break them down a little bit further. So um, setting some goals, making them achievable and making them prioritized based first on safety and well-being um, is is one of the things that I do first. Yeah, right. And I guess that builds momentum then too, because as they hit those, those, you know, initial goals, you get that, Mm. that good feeling and then that propels you further rather than aiming for something that your first tick in the box might be 12 months down the track. Yeah. Yeah. Or years. Mm. Yeah. Years down the track. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's really important to identify is what, what their obstacles are. So what are the things that have prevented them from taking the action or achieving the goals that they've wanted to achieve? So those obstacles can be physical, logistical, psychological, neurological, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I, we just identify those obstacles and, you know, just see if we can also within the goals put in some actions or some milestones that relate to those obstacles as well or at least put in place some new behaviors or some things that we need to to look at in order to address those obstacles so as an example an obstacle to decluttering would be um, continuing to shop so if somebody is compulsively acquiring but they're trying to declutter then an obstacle is that 
the continuation of the, the acquiring. And so obviously we for clients who um, have compulsions, it, you can't just stop acquiring. But what we can do is we can go, all right, well, this is something that we need to address. One of our goals can be to reduce the acquiring and then we can make a plan of action of how to reduce the acquiring or put some control over it so that it doesn't completely sabotage the decluttering efforts. It's mm-hmm. going to sabotage them a little bit, especially if it's a slow mindset or a slow habit change. But at least we can put something in there so that we're not, you know, refilling the hole just as soon as we've dug it, basically. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And then in a practical sense, what are some of the things that you will do? You know, once you've got through, you've set your goals, you've identified all the obstacles. If you go into a, um, a place and you've already established all of that with a client, what are some of the things you're doing on a day-to-day basis? Okay, so the depending on what the goals are and what the, the things that we need to undertake to achieve them, a lot of it is you know, going through stuff. So if we use an example from a client last week, he had boxes still in his wardrobe from when he moved in seven years earlier. And so one of the goals was to clear those boxes uh, and use that storage for uh, probably maybe the same kind of stuff that was in the boxes, but in an organized way so that he could actually see what was in there uh, and with less volume. So we would, uh, we pulled all the boxes out uh, one by one. We went through the boxes. We rehomed, we we rehomed and de-owned all of the items in those boxes. uh, And then we reallocated that space to something else. And that, so that's the physical kind of stuff that we do. So I'm, frequently sitting on the floor surrounded by (laughs) piles of stuff so we were working in a small room we're both sitting on the floor occasionally one of us would get up and groan and moan and creak and crack (laughs) or our foot's gone to sleep or something but we were sitting on the floor and we had piles all around us some were boxes some were piles some grew into boxes once the pile got big enough but it was like donate e-waste recycling rubbish um keep and rehome elsewhere in the house, keeping rehome in this room, that kind of thing. So we have those piles. And so we just went through those piles for a few hours and in the last 20 minutes we got up and redistributed all the stuff and put the rubbish in the bin and I took the donations away and put, put them in the car. Uh, so that's pretty much, you know, what we physically did there. So pulling stuff out is one of the things that I do the most <laughs> and mm-hmm. then finding other homes for it. And what about... Um suggestions for new organizing systems Uh, you know we talked that declutter coaches spend a lot more time guiding people in decision making and then professional organizers do and quite often organizers will be more into the styling and reorganizing of what is there do you mm. do that kind of stuff as well? Will you suggest storage solutions and yeah I definitely do I still suggest them I it it's more like that once we've gone through the stuff and we see what's left, we go, all right, now how are we going to store this stuff? Uh, and it could be in existing storage they already have or it could be in a change to a storage that they already have. So they may have half the volume of their belongings and therefore it's changed the amount of space available for storage. So instead of um, using 
that hanging space that that this client had uh, hanging space above the boxes. So instead of short hanging up there, he would now be able to fit long hanging. So we could maybe utilize that for some more long hanging stuff. Or there might be room now to put in a chest of drawers if he needed drawers in that space instead of hanging. Uh, He loves tubs. So what we're probably going to do in that wardrobe long term is just put labeled tubs of stuff in there so um, it's mostly office related stuff and and tech related stuff so but we haven't quite got there yet what we did is I think about only about four things went back into that space where all of the boxes were so we had four large tea chest sized moving boxes in that wardrobe in that side of the wardrobe and now what's left I think in there is two board games and maybe like a pedestal fan and uh, a box of something I can't remember what it is now Uh, but there was yeah just a small amount of stuff left so I think that once we've finished that whole room then we'll go back to that storage and go all right how can we actually what is it that we want to store in here and then I'll make suggestions on what to put in there but he's probably going to go with tubs because he really likes tubs when you're helping clients uh, in decision making um, you obviously don't you know, we've talked about that you don't make the decisions for them, you guide them, you you ask them questions. Is part of your process teaching um, the client how to ask those questions for themselves down the track mm. so that when you leave, they can carry on without you? Yep, yep. And one of my methods is to frequently repeat the same question over and over again until they're tired of hearing me say it and then they start (laughs) to hear it themselves Uh, so a bit of repetition so they might sort of they'll pick up an item they'll pause on it and then I'll ask a question and then uh, they'll answer that and then I'll ask another question and then the next item they pick up the item they pause on it I ask a question and so what I'm trying to do is as they're holding that item and they're thinking about whether or not it needs to stay or go Uh, by me asking those questions, at least initially, I ask those questions quite quickly. So it's like, do I need it? Rebecca's question comes in, you know, and then think about it more. And then another one of Rebecca's questions come in. And then as they get more practiced at it, I give a longer space in between interjecting with a question. And so what they then, and and sometimes I'll ask them, what are you thinking? And they'll Mm -hmm. then say, probably they often say what the question is that I usually ask them and they might not know that they're doing asking themselves the same question but they'll sort of think they'll be thinking something like a question that I ask them so what they start to do then is ask themselves that question basically or other questions Um, and sometimes they'll just say you know like I'll be thinking that they're trying to decide whether it should go or whether it shouldn't and I did this the other day with a client and I, I gave him time and then he realized I was waiting for him to speak and he looked up at me and he said, oh, sorry, I was just trying to figure out how I got this. <laughs> so he wasn't actually thinking whether to get rid of it. He'd already decided very quickly to get rid of it. But then he's staring at it thinking, I don't know how I got this. Like where, where did this come from? And he was trying to work out how it actually arrived in his home. And so I, I thought what he was trying to do was ask himself the questions to make the decision of whether it should stay or go but he'd actually made that quite quickly like oh I don't want this where did this come from <laughs> became the next question in his head and then he was mulling over that one so yeah we get these questions in our head and so what I like to do is is um, inject those questions in so that they then become something that uh, comes up by themselves later on yeah and I really like that aspect of um, declutter coaching because it's you're not it's not 
you know, expected to be a long-term dependent relationship. The idea Mm. is not that every time they need to clear out a cupboard, they call you. Absolutely, a lot of them will need your help for a long time, Um, but it's not designed that they can't declutter without you. You know, Mm. I guess the process is about coaching them um, towards these things so that eventually they can either do it themselves or do it with with someone else, but it's not that... Mm. I can't declutter unless my coach is here, you know? Like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's and it's sort of, I, I do, there, are, and I can get clues as to where a client is in that as well, mm-hmm. as far as their, their journey through. So sometimes they will say something to me that will tell me where they are in that particular journey and how far along they are. And sometimes they'll tell me directly, I'm not ready to do this without you. So that's very direct. Mm -hmm. Uh, And other times they'll say, you know, maybe more indirectly. So I had someone say to me recently, "I, I, I I need to book you in again. I've been trying to do this with my support worker, but I don't get rid of as much when she's with me as I do when you're with me. So that's a clue that uh, she's not asking herself the same questions or all of those questions and -hmm. obviously the support worker isn't trained so they don't ask those questions so she still needs me in order to remind her of what those questions are for a little bit longer Uh, and then you'll get other clients that give you a really good clue like another one that said to me a couple of weeks ago she said I had to go and sleep in the spare bedroom bed the other day because something went wrong with her bed so she had to go and sleep in the spare one And she said, I looked around that room and she said, and I know you and I have kind of done a little bit in that room, but then we dismissed it as being a low priority and that was on me. Um, And she said, I was just really avoiding that room because of its emotions. And she said, but I looked around it and I thought, right, we're going to do this room the next time Rebecca's here. And she said, and I have never had an independent thought by myself of I need to clear this space ever before. So mm-hmm. she's moving along to the point now where she's looking and she's assessing a space and she's saying to her, able to say to herself, this isn't working for me and I'm going to change it mm. uh, instead of me going in and saying, is this working for you? Should you change it? You know, she actually had that that independent thought herself. So, yeah, it, it is a, a good, you get these good indications of where they are along in their journey uh, through the conversations with them as well. So... What about other stuff? Obviously, you spend some of your time recording a podcast and educating <laughs> yes. people. Well done. Thank you. Uh, what else do you do when you are not one-on-one with clients? Um, how else do you spend your days and your weeks? My favourite thing to do when I'm not with clients would be speaking. Uh, so speaking at events. So I spoke at Environmental Health Australia State Conference this year. I've spoken at teachers' conferences, uh business forums and community groups and libraries so speaking is definitely something else that I do a lot of Uh, training as well so training people on how to work with people who have higher levels of clutter or hoarding behaviors so people like support workers cleaners social workers tenancy officers I'm ramping that up a lot um, more now writing ebooks and worksheets and guides which I probably should do more of but that is another thing that I do I just don't do quite enough of it um also a lot of work is in consulting so consulting with people like social workers or support workers or tenancy officers to help them deal with their clients when I can't be engaged so if there's no funding to engage me so that I can work with the client I can then consult with the those bodies to help them 
work with their client in a way that is most helpful and respectful of the client and their needs. So that's that kind of um, work as well. Oh, I love that. Um, it's funny because a lot of people would think it's just going into people's homes mm. and that's it and it stops there. But there is, there's so much more, isn't there? And I guess... Yeah. Oh, and I also do mentoring for other organisers as well. So that's another thing I do. Yeah, right. And I guess that comes with your experience and the fact that you've been in the industry longer than most of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would love to keep talking to you. Fancy that. After three years, oh I God. still can't stop the conversation. <laughs> um, but we're going to run out of time. So yeah. um, you're going to put together a post for us, aren't you, about some of the other things that I wish I could ask, like what is really hard about the job um, mm. and what do you most love, what's awesome about the job um, and maybe even a little bit of insight into, you know, a snapshot of some of your clients, like their ages or their situations or something like that. You're going to put yeah. something together for us on on that? On social media? In the Facebook group? Yeah. Okay, cool. So if you put that in the Facebook group, anyone that wants to come and read more or ask Beck your own questions that you might have for her about what it's like to be a declutter coach can come and find her in there. Yep. And we will see you all again next week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so they too can be uncluttered. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media, or on our own websites at rebeccamazino.com.au and basklifecoaching.com.